I've chased evil and have been chased by it. Despite the right-wing media outlets, I'm the good guy. My name is August Vulture, the man that shot and killed the President of the United States of America on live television. The national media has branded me a traitor and a world-class bastard. The local media in Washington, D.C. hasn't had much to say after the bomb went off. I didn't launch it. Pan-Europe did. But the timing of the bomb, its resultant destructive consequences, and the head of the Secret Service capping POTUS was too much of a coincidence. Unfortunately, it was. I said I chased evil. That's true. I found out the Mafia was running the government top to bottom. I know it sounds kind of Hollywood and conspiracy theory, but it was true. Maybe still is. The Mafia has been running the government since the mid-60s. All of those limp-dicked lobbyists you see rubbing the crotches of their designer slacks with a little too much special interest, those network-talking heads full of piss, vinegar, and violently fucking the American dream, and all those smug, edutainment assholes acting like the news could be any more valid when spoon-fed to the drooling masses with a snide punchline. They're all working for the mob, whether they know it or not. They work for some smoky room filled with... Captains of industry with a dawn at the head of the table. The proof has been there, being quietly blared between every line of every inaugural speech, the Bay of Pigs, the space race, and mission accomplished. When I heard the president tell the Wall Street kingpins it was time for a class war, I started to worry about whose side they were on and what my choice would be. It took me months based on others' years of research and evidence, to finally realize what the hell had really been going on. Smash cut to six months later. I'm standing there with a Sig Sauer P229, staring down at the 357 caliber tunnel I just drilled through the leader of the free world's head. My standard-issue sunglasses were sliding down my sweaty face. The reports say that it was the highest-rated kids' show in history. Then the air raid sirens started to wail. As it turned out, the pan-European conglomerate decided several hours earlier that it would send a message against the United States embargo in the form of a bomb. Not a bomb, really, but a highly experimental and untested new kind of missile-based weapon. The rest of the country's media is calling it the Mag Bomb, or the Magneto, the latter being a quaint reference to a fictional genocidal supremacist supervillain. The weapon, when detonated upon impact, caused a massive and catastrophic magnetic field to envelop several square miles. That doesn't sound that scary until you see people bloodied, pulped, and shredded, being thrust 50 feet into the air, followed by several feet of train track and the 3.37 p.m. blue line. The entire rail system was being vomited up by the city. Any and all of the remaining ore deposits under the city were being spat up vengefully and with absolute malice. Under the concrete, asphalt, and unwary pedestrians, an ominous groaning birthed. It gave way to rebar shooting through the ground like bullets. Innocents were skewered, punctured, maimed, killed, dead. The streets of Washington, D.C. ran red with blood and exploded with shrapnel and revealed a f new, freakish skyline. While I may have simply popped a hot one in the executive branch, P.E. took out the rest of the diseased beast that was the ill-prepared judicial legislative branches. Washington, D.C. became a quarantined reclamation zone, a no-man's land. 
The city erupted into further chaos as the survivors rioted and started block wars. I saw Wall Street slicksters biting the legs of immigrant cabbies for canned food. I have a safe room, a secret room hidden at the top of the U.S. Capitol building. It has a plethora of dehydrated astronaut foods, gallons upon gallons of bottled water, enough ammo that I think I have a bullet for every man, woman, and child in the city. Every night, under blankets, instead of having to cozy up to a surly stranger around a barrel fire, I say a silent prayer to whatever overly paranoid government official slipped my new home into the national budget. After those Twilight movies, there was an explosion of kids named Bella and Edward. My parents wanted me to have a famous name too, but they also wanted something different. My name is Avatar Winters, and I'm a woman that's going to kill the man that killed Pan-Europe. After I watched those fat, rich American slobs conquer the world market, after I watched Pan-Europe's people in growing lines for just scraps of bread and toilet paper, I saw my leaders finally do something about it. If the P.E. was going to grow strong again, it was to be fattened on the corpse of our enemy. I'm Doug, and this is Mr. Wright. This episode is called The Upside Down, a reference uh, to a piece of pop culture called Stranger Things, which I am a big fan of. But instead of talking about uh, mind flayers and demogorgons, I'm going to be talking about turning conventions on their heads, um, kind of flipping the script, so to speak, on ideas and ways you can do that, uh, ways that you can make it work for you, and good reasons why you should just do it. I mean, really, to, to step outside of your own head, your own genres, uh, your own themes, is something you should do. Uh, it's like trying something new in real life, <laughs> going skydiving or boogie boarding or, I don't know, whatever you kids do nowadays. Hula hooping, possibly. Uh, Vulture was something that I kind of stepped out of my own head on, and I wanted to flip a convention that was who you think is the bad guy ends up being the good guy. And I had set that up uh, early on by saying that August Winter, uh, I'm sorry, August Vulture was the good guy. But the other good guy, Avatar Winters, was A, supposed to be the main character. And I think if I ever finish. Um, the Vulture piece, and that was Vulture was just a working title for it, that I would really start with focusing on Avatar Winters and building her story about, you know, the, the disenfranchised and impoverished pan-European, you know, folk hero type of, you know, populist hero who goes, you know, to take down this corrupt system in the United States, and when you finally meet you know, August Vulture, you realize that he's not the bad guy, there's other bad guys, and that would be kind of the twist at the end of, of the story, um, or even a climax, depending on, you know, if it's a short story or a novel. So, flipping conventions on their heads, uh, I have a list of examples you can, you can look at or read or watch, but it is good that, you know, you do this. It's something that can break you out of your theme. I noticed in Black Falls, this is something I wanted to say, a minute ago, and I, it came back to me, that I've noticed, you know, themes re-emerging in when I write the new seasons of Black Falls, and that each kind of four-part season has a theme that emerges, and I kind of went, oh, okay, neat, and then I when I look at the theme, I go, now how can I subvert this, keeping the theme, but subvert it into something that I've never written before, or in a way that I've never written it. So those examples I talked about a second ago are looking at stuff like Joss Whedon, that 
Other than being a nerd icon, uh, the best example you can have for him flipping a convention on its head uh, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is taking, you know, kind of the damsel in distress, the pretty girl, the cheerleader character, and making her immensely powerful, um, both emotionally, physically. I mean, she has her moments of weakness and doubt, don't get me wrong, but turning kind of the cheerleader into the hero of the story and having her save the guys... That's flipping a convention on its head. It's that easy. Things like Adventure Time, if you find the episodes where Finn and Jake get captured by the Ice King, I might have seen a few episodes, uh, and he makes them listen to his uh, fan fiction, which swaps gender. Uh, gender swapping, great way to do turn a convention on its head, much like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, another example from Joss Whedon that you would have seen a little bit, of, a little bit in, in Vulture, would be with Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog where the bad guy is actually the good guy and the good guy is actually the bad guy. That's something you can play around with. And it is always fun to play in the sandbox where you can have a bad guy be a good guy. Months and months and months ago on the show, I recorded um, a portion of a script called Time Capsule Hand Grenade in which one of the quote-unquote protagonists, good guys, um, was a satanic hitman. He was there as kind of an anti-hero, but he was a good guy, despite the fact that the other characters kind of looked at him as a sociopath. Another way you can turn conventions on your head is motivational reversal. Now, switching motivations can be difficult, but ultimately, as long as you have the motivation and characters act out of their best in or uh, act against their best interests, you still can create conflict. But flipping something as simple as, I uh, hear, a perfect in Vulture, a motivational reversal, that the Secret Service guy is made to want to kill the president uh, as opposed to protect him. Um, that he stays close to the president and protects him for what you imagine was a couple months, just so he could shore up the resources and intel to kill the president. That is a motivational reversal. Now, the best way to... Easy, I should say the easiest way, maybe not the easiest way, either, I shouldn't say that, to do something that can shake up your writing, get you something new, get you something fresh, kind of work out another muscle uh, in your brain, or, you know, another tool in the toolbox, I'm fond of saying, is to write opposite of what you usually write in terms of topics or characters, um, settings. So for me, I tend to write in a genre that I had a uh, then-girlfriend coin the term of gore noir, which is uh, heavily influenced by noir film and writing, uh, but hyper-violent, um, and I tend to use violence as a comedic tool. Um, if you're wondering how to do that, read Garth Ennis's, pun um, sorry, Garth Ennis's Preacher. But something where you can uh, go to the piece and say, okay, now for me... It would be, for me, I would, I would write like a, a historical period piece that's got romance. Okay, um, you know, I would find that very dry uh, and slightly boring. I mean, I don't mind Jane Austen. I don't mind, you know, certain aspects of Oscar Wilde, um, by and large. But I would kind of go, okay, let's take something like Emily Bronte or Jane Austen and see what I come up with when given th this these parameters of historical period drama, um, you know, elements of romance, 
what would I come up with? I mean, the, you know, you could do Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, I think that's a little lazy, personally speaking. Um, I think I would probably come up with something closer to Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You know, I would, or or even more seriously, something like The Dante Club or The Poe Shadow by Matthew Pearl, who takes historical events and builds like a fictional mystery around them. I think that's something that I would probably come up closer with if I forced myself to write a period drama piece. And it's something that I've never, I've, I've tried and I've never succeeded. And that doesn't mean that um, I won't keep trying. It just means that I haven't cracked the idea quite yet. But other than that, like, okay, uh, if I were to write hard science fiction, which means it's scientifically accurate, um, I tend not to like hard sci fiction. I think it's a little, once again, dry. I think it's a little uh, textbook, technical manual, you know, that's me. Also, I'm not a huge, you know, high fantasy fan. I'm more of an urban fantasy fan. So what would happen if I tried to write a high fantasy novel or a short story? These are the things you can look at where you go, you know what? I don't like this genre or I don't read this genre often because I don't like elements of it. I'm going to write in that genre and see what I come up with. And you might think of a new idea. It might be your new favorite. Or you might fail miserably like I have. Um, and that's fine. It's the act of trying. And maybe, you know, you write a short story and you go, this isn't great. I still don't like this genre or this topic. But you can pick out kernels of ideas or characters or an element like dialogue that you really liked. And that might spur on another idea. So there are ways to turn the upside down right side up again. And with that, remember, you keep writing, they'll keep reading. Right on. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Yeah.